0: Have your Bibles turned with me to Hebrews chapter nine. Hebrews chapter nine, and we'll read from verse eleven to fourteen this morning. Hebrews chapter nine, verse eleven to fourteen. Let's read. That Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more? Shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. We'll see what he has for us today. Father, we uh, we thank you um, for this morning. We thank you for another opportunity to be able to learn it from you and by your spirit. And we pray this morning that our hearts would be open to your truth. Lord, our desire is to be more like you, to please you more, Father, to, uh, to live more of the sort of lives that you would have us live, Father, that we one day we might come before you and, um, and we might hear those words, well done, my faithful servant. So, Lord, we, uh, we ask now for your wisdom and your knowledge and your grace in order to understand what you would have us know. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the Bible, there are some 290 references to the love of God. Um, and the love of God is a very serious topic in the Bible and we treat it very seriously because it is because the Bible says that God is love but there are some 1,300 references to the atoning blood in the Bible there are more references to the blood of Christ in the book of Hebrews than any other book in the New Testament that's why I chose a specific passage Um, and if you want to know more about the blood of Christ the book of Hebrews is probably a pretty good place to start Most of us are aware of how faith works to appropriate salvation which is offered by the grace of God. Okay, did you get that? So most of us are aware of how faith appropriates, takes hold of, uh, salvation offered by the grace of God, uh, offering us something that we didn't deserve because of what Christ did for us. The problem, though, in this world, is that we live in a very sanat? Do you believe we actually live in a very sanitised world? Because I think we do. Um, I think, I think in our culture, everything is prepackaged for us. Everything is has been sanitised for us, um, and things such as blood and those sorts of those sorts of discussions actually become a little bit difficult for a lot of people. Um, so much so that it offends it offends the uh, the culture of most of the people who are behind the pulpit as well. So, the discussion about the blood of Christ is often omitted completely from preaching today. In fact, it's uh, it's not only the, the blood of Christ, it's been uh, banned from many modern-day pulpits, but actually a certain number of Bible versions have removed the term blood and they've, they've exchanged it or changed it with something like Christ gave his life. Okay? Because... Some people don't want to hear the term blood. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Um, when I used to go to get a, have a blood test, um, and I used to see that person sticking that needle in my arm, and blood used to start coming out. Um, yeah, let's put it this way I had to have Miriam drive me home after that. Sook, yeah, you I know. It wasn't until I had an operation, because it was the first operation that I had. Actually, to let you know, I had, most of you know how I had a heart operation, right? Um, it was the first operation I'd ever had in my life. So I went straight to the top in one go. Um, but after, after that operation, and they, they punctured me so many times, and I had tubes sticking out of me after the operation. You know something? I didn't care anymore, to be honest with you. Um, but the French philosopher Voltaire, most of you are aware of who Voltaire is, and the American president, John Adams, actually were very famous for their criticism of Christianity because they they deemed it to be a bloody religion. Bloody, as in full of blood. Um, With all wars, and they they blamed uh, a lot of the Crusades and things on on Christianity and the frequent mention of blood in the Bible as well. And the fact that Jesus actually died a very bloody sort of death. I mean, I'm not sure if you guys are aware, but um, after someone has had a, a crown of thorns put on their head, um, and has been beaten thoroughly front and back, um, and then had it been pierced on the side and the hands and the feet, there wasn't probably much of him that wasn't covered in blood. He probably would have been fully covered from top to toe. It would not have been a pretty sight. So yes, our Saviour was covered in blood. And sometimes we, um, we, uh, we forget that. Actually, we should remind ourselves even more about how much blood he actually shed for us. And In our church, we celebrate that blood every fortnight when we have the Lord's table. So we, we sit down together, we remember what he actually did for us on that cross, and we, and we partake of something that, which is an emblem of that blood that was shed. Today, what I would like to do is to help us to recall the importance of that blood, that blood that was spilled for us 2,000 years ago, And I would like to tell you about six important things that blood actually did for you and me. What it accomplished for us. So there are six six things I would like for us to actually note down and remember as to what the blood of Christ achieved for us. Okay. And the first one we'll start with is we are redeemed by the blood of Christ. We are redeemed by the blood of Christ. Look at uh, Hebrews 9.11 it says but Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle a tabernacle is simply a, uh, a place of worship okay uh, not made with hands that is to say not of this building neither by the blood of goats and of calves but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us the blood of Christ has redeemed us and what does that what does that all mean actually before I get into that I want you to take note of something. It says that he entered into, in verse 11, uh, he entered as a high priest uh, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle. Now, most of you would be aware that when Jesus walked to the earth, there was a temple in, in Jerusalem. There was a big temple over there, okay? And it was the center of all worship. And that temple was divided into three main parts. You had the outer, you had the inner, so the outer court, the inner uh, sanctuary, and then you had what was called the Holy of Holies, where um, where all the important stuff really took place. That Holy of Holies, only once a year, the high priest. So you had a number of priests. Once a year, that high priest would actually go into that place under fear of death, mind you, if he didn't do things properly. Okay, um, not that not that men would kill him if he did it wrong, but he would die. Okay, and he offered a sacrifice first for himself. And once a year he would offer a sacrifice on behalf of all the people for the sins that they'd made, they had made. Now that tabernacle, right, well that, that a tabernacle is another word for a tent of, of worship. And most of you also know that when the Israelites were wandering for 40 years around the desert, God told them to build a tent. And that tent was the same shape as the temple that was built, but it was a portable place of worship. And it had the same outer court, inner court, and the holy place. So the Bible tells us though something even more amazing. It's that that is a picture of what's in heaven. That's a picture of what's up there. And when Jesus died, he didn't go he didn't go into the holy place in the temple on the earth. He actually entered into the holy place in heaven. And he offered himself. And he showed himself to be the sacrifice for all time and for all eternity. So there is, a, there is an amazing picture. And, and the book of Revelation tells us there is a tabernacle or a temple in heaven, a place where God is worshipped and sacrifice gets made to him. But the sacrifice, the one sacrifice that came into that temple and offered himself by his own blood was Jesus Christ and it's a, an eternal redemption. Okay? Um, this blood that was shed for us redeems us from the curse of the law and of sin. It redeems us from that. Okay? The law condemned me because I was a sinner before God. There is no one in this earth who can keep the law of God. In fact, the law was written not, to, not in order for us to keep in order to show us that we couldn't keep it, and to drive us to a saviour. So God knew that when he gave the law, it, wasn't, it, was, it was not meant to be a thing that said, oh, look how good I am, God. I kept, you know, eight out of ten laws today, or I kept seven out of ten laws, so look how good I am. In fact, the Bible says if you break one law, you break them all. You've broken the whole thing. So the law was only designed by God to show us that we were in desperate, desperate need. had a chat with a lady yesterday at, uh, at tennis who was quite happy with this job that she was doing, and she worked for an American pharmaceutical company who only specialised in making medicines for people with really rare diseases. So diseases where you had less than maybe 100 people in the whole of Australia who had that disease, And they specialise in that sort of thing. So she said that the type of results I was getting was absolutely fantastic. And I said, that's great to hear. Um, she goes, she, she's told me that she loved actually um, uh, doing the sort of work because it was benefiting people who were the most disadvantaged. So I said, once again, that's, that's great. Unfortunately, the conversation stopped at that point. I didn't get a chance to tell her that there is another disease that is not rare in this earth that is more common than any other disease on this planet, and that's the disease of sin. Because every person, every person has this disease. And there is no cure for this disease, other than dying. One way or another, you die. One way, you die twice, where you die from the disease, and then you die an eternal death away from God in a place called hell actually, in a place called the Lake of Fire. The other way is to die. You got that? But you die to yourself. And you accept an exchange. And the exchange that, that, that was offered was done at Calvary 2,000 years ago. And Jesus says, I'll tell you what, what I'll do is I'll pay for all the sins that you've committed and all the sins that you're going to commit. And what I'll do is I'll offer my life in exchange for yours. So all the good that I've done, Will be put onto your account. All the bad that you've done, we put onto my account. I'll pay for your sin. I'll go through all the suffering for you. And then you'll be free of this disease. And that's what the blood of Christ did for us it redeemed us. You see, the term redemption or redeeming is the action of regaining or gaining a possession back in exchange for a payment. Or clearing of a debt. Redemption means to buy back. And God brought us back. He brought us back from sin and the curse of the law because the law condemned us and sin held us in bondage and captive and would not let us go. So Christ came, He paid an, an incredible price. He freed us from this, this chains and this prison that we were in. He paid the full price of our sin. And now we can walk free because He redeemed us. Now, one thing I want you to notice in this particular passage, it says that He obtained, right the last, the last few words, it says, having obtained, okay, so He got this thing for us, He obtained an eternal redemption for us. Eternal not temporary. Not something that will last a few weeks and then fall over. He obtained an eternal redemption for us. So anyone who puts their faith in Christ is eternally bought back. Eternally bought back. You can't be lost again once you're saved by the blood of Christ. What He bought for us was not temporary, but it's eternal. This is why we say that when a person is saved, they cannot be lost. Because it is not up to you and me to keep our salvation. It is up to His buying power to keep us saved. The price that He paid was more than sufficient to keep us saved. Do you understand? Turn to Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. Colossians 1.13 says, Who hath, that's who is Jesus there. Jesus hath delivered us from the power of darkness. And hath translated us, that means delivered us or brought us into the kingdom of His dear Son. In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So another way of looking at redemption is that we've had all of our sins paid for and cleared. So when he paid that price to buy us back, he paid the debt that we owed, that we could not pay our own. Why is the blood of Christ so precious? Imagine the value of that blood. It was able to buy and pay for the sins of countless people from all ages, both before he came and after he came. How many people and how many sins are there in this world? That's why it took the Son of God to pay for those sins. A normal mortal could not do it. A normal mortal being could pay for maybe one other person and lose themselves in the process. The Son of God could pay for every person throughout all of time and make sure it lasted forever. Why is the blood of Christ precious? It redeems us. It frees us from the cruel slave master of sin that we were bound to and the condemning finger of the law that pronounced us guilty because we chose to put ourselves under the service of sin. We chose to become the slaves of sin. We chose. We chose to have sin as our master rather than God. My question to you this morning as we go through these things, Now My first question to you is Have you received the full payment of your sins Through the shed blood of Christ? Have you had your sins paid for? Because if you haven't had your sins paid for Remember, there are two deaths that need to be died One, you die twice One, you die once But then you get to live forever If you have not had your sins paid for By that blood that was shed at Calvary You will have to pay for your own And you will not have enough to pay. You will still be in debt. And there will be no one else to pay for your sins. Have you called on Christ to redeem you today? To buy you back? To release you from the bondage that you're in? If not, do it today. Do it today. You can be free in a moment. What's spoken by the mouth and believed on in the heart lasts for eternity, can happen in a moment and can last for eternity. Galatians chapter 4, verse 3, turn with me there and we'll just look at one last passage in this particular topic. Galatians chapter 4, verse 3. It says, even so we... Paul's, Paul's saying here, this, is, this was us, right? This was the Christians. When we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. Now, children being when we before we were saved, okay? But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. That's us. That we might receive the adoption of sons, and because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, "Abba, Father!" Abba's a, Abba is a—it's um, it's an endearing term, like daddy, okay, like dad. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son; and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And did you get that? What Christ did for us is not just release us from the the. The, the bondage of sin. In other words, we were, we were shackled in a, in a prison and Christ came with a key and said, here, I'll open it up for you if you want. So he opened it all up. He didn't just take us out of a prison and just leave us there. What he actually did was took us out of a prison. We were enemies of God. We were slaves to sin. He took us out of that prison. He released us and we found ourselves all of a sudden out in the open. And then he said, that's, that's not enough. There's something else I want to do for you. I want to adopt you into my family. So we were without a family before the Bible says. We were without any identification. We were lost rebels against God. So God frees us. He he took rebellious, sinful, um, iniquitous people like us, freed us when He didn't have to because He loved us and He wanted to see us freed. And then at that point He goes, I'll tell you what I'll do for you. I'm going to actually adopt you into my family. God's family. What's God's family? Not even the angels are in God's family. Do you understand that? I'm going to adopt you into my family. And because my son did this for you, he's going to be the link between me and you. And he's the identification. is your new identification. Here's what makes you a, a part of the family of God. A part of the family of heaven. I'll talk a bit more about that later. Let's go to the second one. Turn to Revelation chapter one, verse four with me. Revelation chapter one, verse four. It says there, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you. And peace from him which is and which was and which is to come. And from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead. And the prince of the kings of the earth. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. How does a person get their sins cleansed and washed? It's by the blood of Christ. Not by water and not by any sacrament, not by anything else. That this world has to offer. Not by any psychological technique or anything else. The Bible says that a person's sins are washed only and surely by the blood of Christ. So the blood of Christ redeems us. It buys us back to God. It pays for those sins. But then it cleanses us and makes us fully clean. You see those sins were like a stain in our souls. And Christ's blood cleanses from all that sin. The blood of Christ cleanses us from every sin and stain. It blots out the stains that we have and makes us clean again. It makes us clean and fit for the service of God. When a person has been cleaned by the blood of Christ, they are, they are fit to be now a habitation for God himself. You want buy a house that was owned by someone else before? Did you clean it before you got in? You didn't clean it, Anthony. Okay, you're. you're, you're uh... <laughs> before you go into a house, though, don't you give it a clean? You don't clean it. You, you know, Anthony, stop, stop shaking your head because you're distracting me. When you, when you move into a home, apart from a very minority of people, you will generally clean the house, okay, and make it ready to move into the bible has a um, has a particular parable i don't know if it's a parable i think it's actually a reality where a, a man is infested with a with a demon or a devil and the bible says that um, the, the, the the devil's cast out of him the devil goes and wanders 7 days in the wilderness and at that time the house is swept clean so it's cleaned out all nice and clean inside okay and the devil goes around and um and and looks goes travelling in the wilderness and dry places and it's, it's not a very nice place for a, for a devil to be. It likes to have a place to live. Right? So then it says, I'm going to go back and see if the house is, uh, if, is, is still there. So it goes back and it finds the house all beautifully clean and ready to live in. So it takes seven other ones and goes back and it says that the, the state of this person is worse than what his first state was. Why? Because even though the house was clean, there was no one living in home. There was no one there. Okay? And this is the this is the thing about trying to fix up your life, trying to make yourself right before God. If you try to fix your own sins and do and do your own things before God, you know something, you're only gonna make it worse. God has to clean you up, and then God has to come and live inside. And when God lives inside, that devil isn't getting back in. The blood of Christ cleanses us completely, it makes the house completely clean, ready for God to live in there. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes and lives in a believer when they're born again. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 says, you don't have to turn there, come come now, let us reason together, saith to the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, that's red, uh, they shall be as white as snow. Though they, though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. No, that's the promise that God gives, that God can actually clean and cleanse us of all of our sins. How did He do that? By the blood of Christ. The blood that was shed cleanses us from all of our sin and stain. Now turn to 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, because it doesn't just end there. He doesn't just clean us once, but He continues to clean us every day. It doesn't finish there. This is a continual cleaning action. God has redeemed us. God, God cleans us. So when you first... Give yourself to God. God cleanses us thoroughly. But then it says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. But if you walk in the light, as He is in the light, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, we have fellowship one with another. That's a relationship together. And the blood of Christ, Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So walk with God. Have a relationship with God. Once you're saved, you enter into a relationship with God and that relationship itself actually keeps you clean all the way through. And the blood of Christ continues to clean from all sin. There is no sin. There is no sin that that blood can't clean. There is no stain that doesn't come out. I know that there are many people who struggle with their past, with what they've done or what they've said. But I'll tell you now, there is no sin, there is no stain, there is nothing that can resist the the cleansing power of his blood. It can clean you thoroughly and give you a perfectly clean and pure life before God. Part of the problem that people have is not actually believing it because even though God might have actually cleansed you of all of your sin and stain and the Bible says that he's cast that as far as the east is from the west so he can't see it and he doesn't want to see it anymore he's cleansed it and he's thrown it away the problem with us is that we tend to want to keep holding on to it we can't quite believe sometimes how God can really um, forgive some of my stains and my sin how can he really clean some of those things I did in the past but he can. God can. And he does. And The Bible says that if we have a fellowship with God, then there is continual cleansing that takes place. And the Christian receives this cleansing from their Saviour each and every day. And it just comes from walking with Jesus. That's all it is. It just comes from being with him, walking with him. Walking in the light means we continue to trust in him. Just trust in Him. Rely on Him for your needs. He knows all of our faults. He knows all of our failings. He knows our sins, our fears, our doubts. The question is how much we continue to trust Him. Exercise that faith that you were saved through at the beginning. And we'll continue to see the Holy Spirit work in our lives. Please understand that walking in the light does not mean you have to live a perfect life. It doesn't mean that you have to walk perfectly to be in the light. Even though you might sin, it doesn't mean you're living in darkness. Although our desire should be each and every day to live as perfectly as our Saviour. That's the desire that we should have every day. But God knows that we, we fall short. In fact, otherwise, if that wasn't true, then what sin would there be to cleanse? Because it says here that as we walk in fellowship one with another, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth, continues to cleanse us from all sin. So it assumes, this particular verse assumes that you're going to have sin in your life. It assumes it. In fact, look at verse 8, 9 and 10. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. You like that? Do you understand that? If we say at any point in our, our Christian walk, I haven't got any more sin, I'm perfect now. I don't need Jesus to cleanse me anymore. That's what we're essentially saying. But if we understand that we do sin, if we understand that we continue with this walk and as, uh, as the, the Bible says, we dirty ourselves as we go through this world. We require, we need that blood of Christ to continue to cleanse us from more sin. Let's aim to walk in the light, which means let's aim to walk in, in perfect fellowship with Him. Let's aim to be perfect, as perfect as we possibly can, but let's always remember that we need His blood to cleanse us. Okay? And you can you can stand before him each and every day clean and pure and holy before a righteous God. The next thing I want you to understand is the Bible says that we are brought near by the blood of Christ. Okay, that's the third one. We are brought near by the blood of Christ. You know, being alone is not what we were created for. Have you worked that one out? We're created to be social beings with relationships. And loneliness is one of the most frightening things for many people. You know, many people as they get older, they one of their biggest fears is that they will die alone. One of the saddest things you can hear is when you know when someone's died in their home and no one's found them for weeks and weeks and months. They died alone. That's a scary place to be. It's a scary place for younger people to be, especially when they've been rejected by their peers. Yeah, talk about teenagers and the, the, and the, the things they go through these days. Now, the wonderful things like social media with Facebook and Twitter and all those wonderful things, everyone can communicate with each other, but they can also destroy each other very quickly as well. There's always a need to feel connected, especially for teenagers, to feel part of a group, to, to feel wanted... And there's a danger that their identity can be crushed by bad communication. And we see this more and more in our society with teen suicides. There's more teen suicides in our society with teenagers who have all these things, who have an education, who have you know, computers, who have um, uh, places they can go and see and do, um, at incomes and money that they can spend things on. Why are there more suicides in our society than there are in societies where they have nothing. From another angle, people are distant with each other when they are at odds with one another. Do you understand that? So, if people are warring with each other, arguing with each other, if there are issues with one another, they're distant from one another, aren't they? Families are wonderful. Families are wonderful. But when there are odds within the family, it can be the most terrible place to be. I know, because I grew up with it. I grew up with some pretty serious arguments in our family. I've seen my share of uh, of family arguments and problems. But unresolved offences, tension, bitterness and conflict are not the things that should exist within a family. I'm sure that most of you have experienced family problems, arguments, disagreements, conflicts in the past, but I would encourage all of you, if you have disagreements in your family that can be rectified, that can be sorted out, be the godly person and submit yourself. Don't allow family arguments and conflicts to perpetuate. This is not the way God wants it. We shouldn't allow ourselves to live in torment and bring torment to those people around us when we can actually sort things out. You may have also experienced rejection for being Christian and you're from your family. Now you've chosen to follow Christ and all of a sudden you're on the out. They don't want anything to do with you anymore. I know some of you, whether I show, can actually experience that. You may have experienced rejection from your whole family. Or you may have been offended. Or you offended someone else in your family. Either way, the Bible calls us to do our best to live at peace with one another. The Bible teaches another type of conflict. Okay, so you can have conflict where people are at odds. You can have conflict where people are alienated from one another. But the Bible teaches us that every person in this world has lived in conflict already. Conflict with God. Because we rejected the relationship that he he offered to us. And we said, I don't want it your way. I don't want this relationship. I'm going to go off on my own. So the Bible says that we lived in conflict for a while with God himself. We were offended at him. We rejected his authority in our lives. And the Bible says to remedy the situation, God actually came forward, not us. We didn't come back to God. Never let it pass your your mind for a moment that we were the ones who went looking for God. It was him who came hunting and searching for us. And he got us. And he did that because he sent his son into this world. And if he didn't do that, we would all be eternally lost. We didn't go searching for God. Bible says we were enemies of God. And it's only because of that immense love that he showed us that he broke through these hard hearts that we have. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12 with me. So looking at the third point here, which is that we are brought near to God now. We were alienated once from God. The Bible says that we have been brought near to God now by the blood of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12 says that at that time you were without Christ. Without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. And strangers from the covenants of promise. Having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes were, a, were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For He is our peace, who hath made uh, both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in His flesh the enmity, that's hatred, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. For to make in Himself of twain, that's two, One new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. The blood of Christ has brought us back to God. It not only did that, actually brought us into the commonwealth of Israel. You see, at one stage, God was dealing with Israel. God had an agreement with Israel. Israel was to be the light to the world. Israel failed in that. And then you still have, even today, you have the Jews and you have the, the people who aren't Jews. Sorry? Gentiles. We are generally the Gentiles. And we were alienated from those promises. Unless we were converted to become Jews, we didn't know anything about the promises that God had and the ordinances and the laws and all those things. But the Bible says that when Christ gave his shed his blood on that cross, He actually brought those two together as and made them one new person, and then He made that person one with God. He brought that individual, that new individual, who we represent today, who is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. We we represent a special type of person, a new type of person that christ has created because of himself and what he did by shedding his blood for us on that cross though we were once far from god we had no relationship with him the blood of christ has now brought us together and it's through the blood of christ that we now have a relationship with god we had no relationship before and a relationship not just as friends a relationship of a child and a father Legitimate children, not illegitimate children. When we travel and we meet Christians in other places, when we go to different parts of the world or they come here, there is an immediate bond between us for whatever reason. And we know why because we're part of the same family. We have a common father, a common past, and a common destiny. Colossians chapter 1 verse 20 says, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, Jesus by his blood reconciled everything back to himself. What does peace look like? You know, the the two painters were commissioned to to paint a portrait or 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 a scenery of what peace looks like. So the first painted a beautiful evening scene in the foreground, which there was a lake there. Uh, its surface was absolutely calm and unruffled and still. Trees surrounded it. Meadows stretched away into the distance. Cattle were gently, you know, eating grass in the, in the background. A little cottage, a uh, setting sun, all spoke Perfect, perfect peace and rest. Would you agree that looks like a peaceful image? The second painter drew a wild, stormy scene. and It goes up to a bad start here. See, so he draws a wild, stormy scene, heavy black clouds overhead. In the centre of a picture, this massive waterfall. Ever have been next to a waterfall? How loud it actually is? Okay, so... This this waterfall is pouring volumes and volumes of water, covered with foam everywhere. Everywhere, Um, one could almost hear the unceasing roar of the of the water as it as it hit the ground. Yet, in that picture, there was one little thing that caught people's eye, and it was a little bird, and it was sitting perched in a little nook, a little hole in the rock, cleft, and it was singing. In the middle of all this huge eruption. It's the second painter who painted the type of peace that we can have. It's easy to have peace when the water's still, there's no wind. Everything is j- absolutely perfect. You can say, at peace. It's a different type of peace. Where well, the world is in conflict around you where things look as if they're falling apart where things are all over the place and there's noise and there's hustle and there's bustle and there's turmoil and there's conflict and you can be at peace in the middle of all that that's the type of peace that God offers us because in this world we are going to be surrounded by turmoil and tribulation and trial and persecution they're all promises of God actually God promises, you're going to have this in your life. But you know what? With me, you can have peace. And that's the type of peace the Bible talks about. Look at number four. Go to Romans chapter 5 verse 8 with me, please. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. It says there, but God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by His blood, shall we be saved from wrath through Him. The next thing, the fourth thing that the blood of Christ actually does, it justifies us before God. Now, what does that, what does that mean? What it basically means is that. You can stand before God now with no charge against you that can be laid against you. Okay? So there's no, nothing that, that God can actually say, I'm putting this charge against you because of this is what you've done. Any charges that were laid against us have now been dropped and dealt with. The blood of Christ justifies a person before God. In other words, you can stand before God, before God just. That is a big amen. We can't be dragged into court to pay for our crimes against God because He's dealt with them, He's forgotten them, and He's cleared us. The beauty of this verse is that it emphasizes the contrast between what God was able to do when we were His enemies and what God is able to do after He saved us. See how it says, much more then. Look at verse 8. It says, God commended His love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So while we were sinners, God showed the amazing love that He had by sending His Son to save us. Huh? Then He sends His Son to a cross. He dies a, a terrible death to save us. And then the Bible then says in the next verse, Much more then. <laughs> Much more than that. Much more than what you did there. So now that He saved me, the Bible says, much more than now that we are just before him, now that we are justified before him, we shall be saved from wrath, which means good news for us. Because if God is able to save you, and which is the harder thing to do? For him to send his son and to die and show love for sinners like us? Or is it easier for him to actually, once he saved us, once we're adopted into his family, to keep us in his family? Which is the harder thing to do? The first part was harder to do. That's why it says much more than. Being justified means that you stand before God now as a just person. By His standard. Not by ours. By His. By His perfect law which exists in heaven itself. That is why we are ready and fit for heaven the moment we put our faith in Christ. We're ready for heaven. There is no angel more righteous, more just than you are today if you've put your faith in Christ. Does that sink in to you? Is that difficult to sink in? That there is no angel more just or righteous before God standing before his throne now than you are today before him because he bought your righteousness. He declares that we are just before Him. He is the justifier and no one can tell us that we're not. And the Bible also says that because we are justified by the blood of Christ, He has purged us from dead works. In other words, we don't have to perform all these rules and regulations and and ceremonial things and and all all these things to actually... Show God how good we are. He did it all for us already. He's the one who declared us just. We didn't have to earn it. He just did it. We are justified. Let's look at number five. Which is related to knowing that your sins are cleansed by the blood of Christ and knowing that you are just before Him. Go to Hebrews 10 verse 19. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us with the veil that he is to say his flesh. Now look at verse. This is verse 19. Is what I want you to focus on. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest. That's right before he's thrown in heaven, by the blood of Christ, by the blood of Jesus. You we because of what God has done for us, we can boldly come into the throne room of God and make our request known. When Brother Anthony came behind this pulpit this morning, and offered, offered our prayers to God, he was, in a very real way, standing before God in heaven on behalf of all of us and praying on our behalf. It is by the blood of Jesus that the child of God can enter into the holiest place there is in this universe, which is God's own throne room, and gain an audience with the king of the universe to gain an audience with our Heavenly Father. Because of what has what Christ has done in cleansing us with His own blood, we can come before Him with complete confidence that we are acceptable to Him and that He hears our prayers. Let me remind you, knowing that we are redeemed by the blood of Christ, we are cleansed by the blood of Christ, we have been brought near to God by the blood of Christ, We have been justified, by, which means being made righteous by the blood of Christ. Does that not give you enough boldness to come before his throne and pray? When we consider the love of God that was shown to us and the blood of Christ that was shed for us, why should we fear? We can come before God's throne with complete confidence. In fact, the Bible tells us to come with boldness. we should live with great boldness for God in this world. There is no reason we can't live with boldness in this world. And finally, I just want to wrap things up with point six, which is that the blood of Christ is the basis for the new covenant, the new agreement between God and man. There is... You'll understand the Bible's broken up into two parts, right? It says the Old Testament and the New Testament. The term testament is another another basic word for agreement or covenant. It's an agreement between two parties. A contract, you might say. The Old Testament refers to the old agreement. The New Testament refers to the new agreement, and it was the blood of Christ... That commenced and initiated the new agreement between God and man. That's why we read every time we have communion. After the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do he's offered as you drink it in remembrance of me. On the night before he went to the cross, Jesus offered that cup as an emblem that a new agreement was being made between God and man. And his blood was going to seal it. When Jesus went to that cross and he said, it's finished. He completed that contract. While he was dying, he uttered those words. And he had obtained eternal redemption for us. But there is a new agreement that we rejoiced. The very fact we're here this morning is we are celebrating this new agreement that God has with man. Because if this new agreement hadn't taken place, if that blood had not been shed and had sealed that new agreement, we would still have to live by the Old Testament laws, by the Jewish laws. We wouldn't be free today. The Bible says, can anyone lay a charge against God's elect? The answer is no. When God has pronounced us guilt-free, when God has cleansed us of all of our sins, when God has redeemed us from the curse of the law and from sin, no one can break that ever again. It's an eternal redemption that we have. A person who has been cleansed and justified need not live in fear of death anymore. Need not live in fear of God anymore. He can come to God as his Heavenly Father. In fact, it says to come to Him boldly as your father we've been saved from death, from hell from fear, from sin from the devil and from our own wicked selves God is able to do all that with that blood that was shed on that cross let us live boldly in this life knowing that there is nothing that anyone can do against us that can break the power of that blood That blood is eternally, eternally powerful. It never loses its strength. What it started, it will complete. If you have not received forgiveness of your sins based on that blood that was shed, that can cleanse you of all of your sins, today is the day you need to turn to Christ. Today is the day you need to accept the blood that was shed for you and ask God to cleanse you from all your sins, to make you right with Him. Today is that day. Don't waste another day. Because every day you waste is lost in eternity and you will never ever get it back. In fact, you may not see tomorrow. You may not have another day. And if you wait one day too long, you'll be lost forever with no more days. I'm not sure if I share this with you, but I shared it, I might shared it on Wednesday evening. There is a it was a, a thing that I read um, recently about the world hates to hear the word repent. Hmm? The world hates to hear the word repent because repent means you better change your mind. You better change your direction. You better look at where you are now and make a decision about where you're going. And you better choose God because if you don't choose God, if you don't get rid of your sin, if you don't turn away from your sin and turn to God and let him save you, then you may go to hell. The world hates to hear that. Because people hate ultimatums, don't they? They hate to hear bad news. But you know something? Every person in hell, every person in hell would love to hear that word one more time. Just one. Because it's too late. And they have no more chance to hear that word. If you haven't received forgiveness of your sins, if you haven't allowed that blood to cleanse you from your sin, today is the day. Don't wait. If you are saved today, if you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, if you've turned from your sin and turned to God and allowed Him to save you and rescue you, If you have been redeemed and cleansed and brought near to God, if you have been justified and made righteous before God by this blood that I'm talking about this morning, then be bold and live for Him. Be bold. Because there is nothing that can come against you that can overcome you. How will we respond to Him today? What will the blood of Christ do for you? God bless you. Thank you.